0: This is Jared Murphy from City Limits. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, and by popular demand, it's just Jared and I uh, this week to discuss the latest in uh, politics and government, um, and so we're talking the day after Mayor de Blasio made his annual trip to Albany to testify in front of a joint legislative budget hearing to talk about the governor's proposed budget, the mayor's priorities, um The hearing was a little more subdued than past years, although there were some tense moments, Um, and we're going to talk about sort of five big takeaways from from the hearing and then a few
1: other things. What's interesting about this annual exercise to me is that the mayor goes up there every year, and this dates back well before de Blasio, obviously, presents to the joint committees about uh, briefly about his own budget and management, but mainly, obviously, is reacting to or critiquing the governor's budget proposal, um, and so that the mayor's uh, presentation yesterday reflected that. You know, mainly focused on Cuomo's budget. There were things De Blasio said he liked. There are things he said he disliked. Um, among the things that he liked were uh, so sort of the tax attempt to react to the federal tax changes. Uh, he didn't like some of the education programming, um, cutting money for the juvenile justice initiative close to home. Um, But the questioning after was, it seems to me, mainly about de Blasio and (laughs) and whatever people are either anxious or upset or or happy about in his management of the city, which I thought was interesting.
0: This almost always happens, um, and I wasn't really around during Bloomberg and others, but for de Blasio, this is is what it's been like every year, which is a few legislators will ask him more about his reactions to Cuomo's budget proposals, but they often want to sort of grill him on whatever they think is most important to them or their constituents or their majority conference or minority conference or whatever or whatever they think is interesting. Um, And very often though the the big items of the moment will be in those questions and I think you know sometimes we malign some of our elected officials for the way they conduct hearings or if they grandstand or things like that and there wasn't I don't think much if any of that this time there were really substantive questions and the stuff around the MTA and NYCHA were big themes and rightfully so um so so it was pretty interesting I will add um you know one of the big things that de Blasio said um there there are a variety of cost shifts and cuts that he already had talked about when he gave his own preliminary budget proposal that he doesn't like coming out of Cuomo's budget proposal um But he also really hit home the need for the city to have permission to use design-build contracting and and it can shave off years and billions of dollars from infrastructure projects and that was that was one thing he really put forward as a problem with cuomo's executive budget and one thing he really praised was some of his uh, criminal justice reform proposals like bail reform and speedy trial reform so
1: and design build basically means they, they can let the project out to a construction management firm who then makes all the other decisions about subcontractors and is responsible for delivering it on time with incentives built in and stuff, as opposed to the city managing all those decisions on its own?
0: Well, I think that's that's part of it, but the real key is that you do you contract one time for the design of a project and the construction of it, so you eliminate basically one of two firms that you might have hired to be the lead on, on the two steps of a project. And so we're trying to really figure out what the heck the holdup is here. You know, we're trying to report this out because it's year after year now that Cuomo is really excited and state legislators are really excited that the state is using it on a variety of projects and saving lots of money. And he touts it all the time, but they won't grant the city the permission to use it. And this has something to do with procurement rules, which is why they need the permission. And, you know, New York's home rule stuff is all messed up, but um you know, I was at a breakfast recently where John Flanagan, the Senate Majority Leader, was asked about it. He had no answer as to why the legislature hasn't let the city use this contracting method. Um, Governor, I do know
1: sometimes there are um, organized labor has an objection yes. because in some of the agencies there are design offices that are staffed by union members who you that's know, exactly it I've, would I think. prefer to have that work remain on their plate. Um, as opposed to being outsourced. I know then the city and came up with NYCHA actually six or ten years ago, design build being tri- tried there, the unions alleging that it was a waste of money and ended disastrously, and so that's one, one element of the argument. I think definitely. that's
0: a big piece of it, but it's it is really strange for the governor who has said many times he supports the city being allowed to use it on certain things, wouldn't even have it tucked into his budget, which we you know reported a few weeks ago, um, but there, there doesn't seem to be more indication as to exactly where in the legislature it's getting held up.
1: I come away with the impression that this this is de Blasio's fourth trip up to Albany as mayor. And, you know, some of these have been real showdowns in the past, very, very tense. But I get the feeling there was like a different feel this time. I mean, he's coming back off a re-election victory. The state is now moving into an election year. Um, there are a lot of sort of interesting things percolating in terms of the context.
0: I will say that um, Senator Kathy Young, Republican chair of the finance committee in the Senate, was as tough as, as she usually is on de Blasio. She's always very tough, but beyond that, it was pretty much, that was the case. It was, the temperature was much lower, especially in comparison to last year, which was de Blasio's election year. And a bunch of stuff had boiled up, uh, you know, one of the best examples of this is Senator Simcha Felder from Brooklyn. Last year, at the at this same budget hearing, was railing against de Blasio about the plastic bag fee that the state wound up killing. He had a loaf of bread and he was asking the mayor if he knew how much it cost, and it was just demanding answers on this plastic bag fee. This year, Felder made a couple jokes and then said, thank you for your attention to special education, and yielded the rest of his time. So that was a pretty good indication of the change in in tone overall.
1: One interesting thing for de Blasio is that unlike other mayors in the past, um, both of his election opponents, general election opponents, are still in public life. Nicole Malliotakis was on the committee that questioned him yesterday, and obviously Joe Loda. Is in charge of the MTA, and the MTA was a major focus yesterday. Um, discussion about, I mean, some of it, a, a rehash of all the things we've been talking about over the past several months. You know, where does legal authority and responsibility lie for uh, being in charge, being responsible for the subway? This argument about, you know, past laws and past uh, practices and whether that indicates the city is on the hook or not. Um, some of the specific uh, proposals in, in Colombo's budget. Um, Congestion pricing being one of them, the mayor is still saying that he prefers a millionaire's tax, doesn't think it's dead on arrival, um, but certainly indicated an in, in openness to dealing with congestion pricing, said he liked some of the changes that Cuomo put on the proposal at the end, avoiding the east River bridge, bridge tolls, um, wanting to lockbox that um, money, and wanting to uh, impose the the fees very soon on four higher vehicles. Um, Was there anything new in the MTA exchange? Is there any new territory breached there? I know that the value capture came up a lot.
0: Right. So de Blasio was, as you said, fairly warm on elements of congestion pricing, but he's really hitting home this idea that any revenue has to be in a lockbox that's legally safe from the governor raiding it, basically, and goes just to city subways and buses. I mean, he's reiterated that even today at a press conference. Um these value capture zones that the state wants to be able to institute to to take property tax revenue that the city would otherwise get around major transit projects, such as revenue raised around the Second Avenue subway, for example, where property values go up because there's now public transportation right near some properties. De Blasio is pushing back on that. And he appealed to legislators to say, this is a very slippery slope because the governor and could try to do this all over the state with any investment um so he's pushing back on that and then there's this piece of the governor trying to propose in um statute that the city has to basically be on the hook for capital costs around the subways um and that's a huge that would be a huge blow to the city budget so de blasio is pushing back on that and asking for for help as well uh, I don't think I don't think we got to too much new ground, though. I mean, those those have been things that were already out there, and that the mayor has has pushed back on. Um, the congestion pricing exchanges were interesting because he was fairly warm, but he's still pushing the millionaires' tax. Right. What
1: well, interests me about the argument about where the responsibility for this operation and capital financing for the subway comes from is that this idea that there is some legal. Um, wording or precedent that we're going to find that will give us the answer is a bit artificial. It's a political decision. And so was anybody arguing yesterday about who should, um, by right, have responsibility for paying for this? Or was it all about, well, for years we've been doing it this way, or 30 years ago somebody wrote in a piece of paper this, because it's a political decision that we made today, but we seem to be it's almost like we're Talmudic scholars or something looking for something that's going to explain right. what's going to point us in exactly the right direction.
0: I don't recall any more philosophical discussion. I recall a lot of um, interpretation of the law and, as you said, pointing to tradition and the fact that the state's been running the MTA and in charge of the capital program. And, you know, de Blasio stressed that the governor has the most appointees to the board and names the chair and it is a state authority. Um so no I don't think there was I don't I don't recall it even being broached that you know maybe the city should be in charge of the MTA I don't. I don't I don't recall that coming up even though there was like a little bit of murmurs around that a few months ago. So
1: property tax we referred to that twice already. I mean that obviously is a big part of the um shadow of the federal legal changes federal tax law changes and uh, in terms of this value capture mechanism that Cuomo is talking about that would affect property tax revenue but it's property tax impact on homeowners that is most on people's minds has been for years de Blasio has been um, eluding the issue to some degree and he was confronted with by his former opponent.
0: He was confronted Eddie. by Nicole Yatakis, he was confronted by other legislators as well, including Senator Young who, you know, this is now sort of a annual thing where Senator Young and Nicole assembly Assemblymember Yatakis and others um, question the mayor on property taxes. However, it seems like this is finally the year where he actually is going to do something to get the ball rolling on reform because he promised something very soon. It seems like a commission or, you know, something is going to launch soon. He refused to agree or support any type of cap, any type of freeze. You know, he, he likes to tout that he has not, um, you know, he, that he has not increased the percentages on the property tax. He's not increased the rate. Mm -hmm. Um, but of course the levy continues to go up because, Property taxes continue, or property values continue
1: to rise in the city. Right. Um, and as those values rise, some of the inequalities people complain about, the caps, the things that defend some homeowners, homeowners against rapid rises, some of those gaps widen. Geogra- in geographic, geographic zones. Geographic zones, right, it is, exactly. So, it is crazy, yeah. Um, so that's interesting that that's coming down the pipe, uh, because obviously property tax is interesting in that it's a tax the city has a large measure of control over, but a lot of the wiring is controlled by state law in terms of tax classes and stuff. <laughs> right. So so it's a conversation that will definitely occur both here in, in New York and in Albany as yeah, well. Yeah, it's
0: going to be a multi-year process. The mayor's going to have a commission, then put forward recommendations, then the state legislature will have to take them up. I mean, it's going to be a whole thing, lots of fun for the next couple of years. One really big thing on that, though, is that the mayor is very firm on it has to be revenue neutral for the city. We can't lose the potential to bring in... Revenue Because this tax is such a big booster of the city coffers. So he wants a more equitable system, a more transparent system, but one that still brings in lots and lots of money. And basically, you know, the bottom line is lots of single family homeowners in the outer boroughs are going to have to pay more.
1: Right, which is the bottom line, which is interesting given the concern about the deductibility under right. the federal level is that this is of all the years to do this, this could be a little more uncomfortable even than it would be in other years because, you know, people are going to be shielded less from the impact of it because they can't deduct as much. So
0: yeah, and, and I mean, but we're also you know the federal the the impact of the federal changes are taking effect right away. The governor is going to try to blunt some of that. It seems pretty quickly here with some type of scheme we assume is going to pass this year. And this property tax stuff, like I said, is going to be at least a two-year process before there's any anything new in place, I would think. And I would bet it takes even longer than that
1: for, for real reform. So, Speaking of things taking a long moving time, on. things taking a long time, <laughs> uh, brings us to NYCHA. Ah, and, um, they're talking about my, my comments. <laughs> um uh, questions there about obviously some of the things that've been in, in the news—the the lead paint stuff, the heating stuff—but really mainly about um, his continued, the mayor's continued support for Chairwoman Olataye and people thinking that perhaps it was it's long past time for him to have pulled the plug.
0: Yeah, that was very evident at the state budget hearing, and as we're talking, there's a city council hearing going on that she has been testifying at and getting grilled at and getting criticized at, and there's people uh, in the city council and in the public advocate's office who say she should go. And so, yeah, at the state budget hearing, um, there were several calls for her to be let go or resign or be removed, however. Um, and the mayor continues to back her. And he says, you know, you can't you can't take one or two of these things and, and negate the totality of the good work she's done. Very similar responses that he's given now for a few months. Um... He admitted to some problems, but he also always blames predecessors and a long history in the federal government. Um, So it was a major topic of discussion. Many state assembly members and senators have NYCHA developments, of course, in their districts. So this was their chance to to talk to the mayor about the problems that have really been bubbling up. Um, I don't know. I don't know that that's really, I think we've sort of hit, we've hit the sort of end of the road. It's not a complete road, but we've sort of hit the end of the road there, and now it's going to be another round of sort of like, how does NYCHA do the best it can in the next couple months till the next thing breaks.
1: Right, right, exactly. And of course, you know, the the resource argument is interesting because um, while the federal government has cut support for public housing nationwide for many years, New York is unique in that it's the only city that created its own public housing, and New York State is one of only four that had state-financed public housing. And conveniently for NYCHA, or inconveniently rather, um, all three levels of government began to pull back at the same time around the turn of the century, um, including the states. So while the bulk of NYCHA's fiscal problem is, is federally generated, um, <clears throat> and while de Blasio has attempted to reverse some of the problems on the city side in terms of funding for NYCHA, Um, you know, eliminating things like charging it for garbage collection and that kind of stuff. Um, The state's role is one that hasn't gotten as much attention. I'm wondering, did did the mayor highlight that much?
0: He did. He absolutely did. You know, this is something we looked at a few weeks ago when the members of the IDC and others were calling for an independent monitor of NYCHA, and we sort of looked at, well, what's the state role here, given that, as you said, there's been a lot of state uh, support for NYCHA over the years the mayor basically pointed the finger mostly at the feds, but also talked a bit about the state and wanting more money from the state. And he talked about how he has put a lot more into NYCHA than his predecessors, which is absolutely true. But of course, others make a good point that that can be true and you can still not be doing a good enough job. Um, So he did say he wants more investment from the state and he even pointed to money that was allocated two or three budgets ago that still hasn't been fully spent by the state. And there's some issues around that because the de Blasio administration, or I guess NYCHA, didn't ask for the money to be spent in that timely of a fashion. Then by the time they asked for it to be spent, the state's taking a long time fulfilling it. It's like typical feuding, bureaucratic nonsense that isn't helping people. Um, I was briefly watching some of the city council hearing earlier, and you know, one of the best questions I heard asked was, okay, we're in the middle of this winter, and you're talking a lot about doing the best you can about heat and hot water this winter. You know, what are your plans just just between this year and next winter? You know, how are you going to make sure this stuff doesn't happen again next winter? Don't talk about $25 billion of need at NYCHA. You know, what are the concrete steps? And, you know, there were a few answers around hiring a few more repair people and stuff like that. But I think that's a great question, right? That's That's really the essence of it is there's this huge long-term needs, but how are you doing the best you can right
1: now? Right. This is an emergency room where we're talking about triaging. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is for a system involving 400,000 people at least. Um, uh, an area where since virtually since the moment the mayor said that he wanted to close Rikers, he has made it clear that a tremendous amount of the uh, number of the variables that will determine if and when that happens are really controlled by the state. And that obviously came up in his testimony. He praised, as you said, praised elements of uh, Cuomo's criminal justice policy reflected in the budget, um, speedy trial, bail reform. He uh, suggested he wanted to see some other changes as well and made, I think, a fairly bold prediction that if certain things line up, we could be talking about a different timeline.
0: Yeah, so one thing he added that Cuomo doesn't have that he wants to see is some parole reform where people in city jails serving sentences, which have to be under a year, um, would have the same access to early release on good behavior that state prisoners have, which I thought was a, is a very interesting, I'm sure that's been discussed by advocates, but it was fairly new to me. Maybe I've heard it before, but that was an interesting addition to what he wants to see on the criminal justice reform plate this year. And then he also said, we need design build to help us speed up. If we're going to, you know, we want design build related to renovating and building any new jails. And so that would help us speed up the timeline, save money and so in this exchange with State Senator Brian Benjamin, fairly new member of the Senate from uh, uptown Manhattan, he said we could shave the 10-year timeline by several years. That's you know that's the term he used. He wouldn't say two, he wouldn't say three, he wouldn't say four. But um, I hadn't heard him talk at all about really realistically doing it at under 10. He's been the one pushing back and saying... You all don't understand what this is going to really take, it, and, and so we think 10 years is realistic. And he actually admitted that it could be done quicker given these reforms, which we know are not all going to pass. So there's a little bit of gamesmanship there, perhaps. But I
1: think the city has been surprised even over the past, uh, the last half of 2017, calendar 2017, that the Rigers population dropped uh, below 9,000, I think, for the first time in really recent memory, um, and that may have made that timeline a little easier to compress. One thing that has fascinated me about the Nitri- the Rikers conversation is that as we get deeper into the nitty gritty of it, um, that a lot of the issues that ar- that arise are going to be fairly complex. One of the things that the Blasio said was that people who are in Rikers now for violating parole which means you don't need to have committed some new crime. You, you have some, you stay out past your curfew, you, you do something that none of the rest of us would go to jail for, but because you're on parole, you get violated, sent to Rikers. Um, a significant portion of the population on Rikers is people in that situation. He wants them, in addition, in addition to the good behavior thing you were talking about, he wants them moved to state correctional facilities. Um, so in other words, they're, they're basically they're state prisoners who are serving state time on parole violations, wants them sent elsewhere, which is interesting because depending on where that elsewhere is, you could have a Rikers that is less populated, um, and people from Rikers are living closer to their homes because they're in borough jails, but the folks who are there in parole violations um, could be sent elsewhere in the state. Totally. Um, yeah.
0: Makes uh, no sense to me. One
1: really wonders yeah. you know, what the impact of that will be and what the criminal justice community feels about that. Parole is a hugely understudied, underreported yes. topic, and that's one wrinkle of it, but it's something to, to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, and that makes almost no sense to me, especially when the idea of the borough facilities near the courthouses you know, to speed up processes, to keep people connected. Um, when you talk to criminal justice reformers and the people in the Litman commission, they talk about, you know, look around the country at the new jails that have been built and the stuff we're talking about, about building new jails. These will be state of the art. These will not seem like the old concrete, you know, institutions of yesteryear. Um, you know, especially for jails where most of the people are not, haven't even been convicted of a crime. Um, and so, I uh, you know, And the mayor talks about his homelessness plan, keep people close to their communities. You know, uh, these, these, That just doesn't make sense to me as a priority, but I don't know the full details of what he's thinking there. Um, I do think that the very active criminal justice reform community and some of the legislators who want to see this thing done faster should, maybe will, seize on the mayor's comments there to really put some pressure on him to continue to push that and the governor to prioritize these reforms and then what would be amazing is if these things mostly or all did happen this year and then the pressure then turns around a little bit more on the mayor that didn't fulfill a, a quicker timeline or his portion right. of kicking it. At it least.
1: kicking it back and forth. Um, education came up at least a little bit obviously that's a huge transfer of money from state to city <laughs> The mayor's complaint being, which is very similar to earlier mayors and earlier appearances, but this one, that the money the state is sending this way is not enough. And also there's been some cost shifting, or there is some cost shifting proposed in the the governor's budget around charter schools.
0: Right. There's a couple hundred million here, a couple hundred million there, of these cost shifts adding up, or cuts or cost shifts adding up to somewhere around three-quarters of a billion that the mayor has outlined. Some of them deal with special education, charter schools, as you mentioned, close to home and criminal justice stuff. And on the education funding, I mean, the general gist is, it's an it would the proposal is an increase. It's just nowhere really near the increase that the mayor wants or even was expecting. And that's part of how the governor is trying to cut this deficit he's facing and and keep his budget together is by reducing some of the education aid around the state. Um, not reducing it, but reducing it from projections or expectations right, of slowing growth.
1: slowing down the growth. Yeah, and and of course the other wrinkle in Cuomo's budget talk about schools, including New York City schools, is that discussion This came up in our discussion last week about how that pie is split up within the city, the equitability of the funding from school to school and how that might be monitored.
0: There are a bunch of questions. Kathy Young, again, Senator Young, was asking the mayor um, about his turnaround program and about investment in underperforming schools and how do you determine, you know, where does poverty come into the equation? And the mayor actually had very few answers for her, which was a telling exchange. And she just, she very quickly sort of rapid fire, you know, asked these questions and he, I got to get back to you. I got to get back to you. I don't have that in front of me. And whenever those uh, exchanges happen in, in testimony, especially with the mayor involved, you know, they sort of make your ears perk up when he doesn't have good answers to things or any answers to things. So that was interesting. So um, let's wrap this up and put, put this into context. Um, the mayor has testified in Albany. He has his preliminary budget out there. The governor's given his state of the state and he's got his executive budget out there. Where are we going next?
1: Well, I'm really interested to see what the state of the city next week will be like. The mayor's planning to deliver that Tuesday night. Um, and, you know, there's this ritual part of the beginning of the political year, the calendar year in New York, right? We have the governor state of the state, which is his kind of vision address. He gives his budget, the mayor gives his preliminary budget, and then the mayor gives his sort of keynote here's what we're talking about state of the city talk. Um, and obviously, that is where typically you talk about big ideas. You unearth uh, big proposals. That's where the mayor at one point talked about rezoning neighborhoods for housing. It's where a lot of his big ideas have been unveiled. And his budget, you know, perhaps responding to fiscal and political reality, did not have a lot of new ideas in it. So I wonder what that speech will be like. It's fascinating to think about.
0: The mayor has sort of hit a bit of a rut because he did come out of the gate swinging and putting a lot of stuff out there and in his first couple of years moving on a lot of things or at least, you know, getting new, the new direction he was taking the city established, um, generally speaking and with a number of marquee proposals. And then he sort of slowed that pace a lot. There, there just hasn't been a lot of new stuff. And even the jobs plan that he, that he released was met with a lot of shrugs, um, The BQX was a big state-of-the-city proposal that has gotten a lot of skepticism and criticism. So I agree with you. I'll be really interested to see if he's got anything new. Or as he's been doing, does he sort of just try to reinforce the direction he's taking the city and the sort of more incremental programs and steps that indicate that direction? And then, of course, you have the whole anti-Trump theme. You know, is that just... Sort of what his guiding principle is, generally speaking, that the city is a oppositional force and a and a really good example of the right way to do things versus right. where the federal
1: government is. Of course, it. knowing that any time he says that, inevitably, people like you or me or or folks who do what we do elsewhere will talk about why he's talking about that, what that means about his ambitions, his future. That certainly was the case when the governor hit on those topics during his uh, annual addresses. Uh, it is interesting, though, you mentioned this dynamic of. Um, you know, Mayor Bloomberg, his predecessor, came in as a manager and left as a visionary. And de Blasio came in as a guy with a vision, and it could be, the irony would be, if if in his second term he is more of a managerial mayor, sort of parceling out and pacing the, you know, very large changes and topics he's put on his plate. Rikers, housing, we're still waiting to hear some of the education stuff that he promised. Um, That would be kind of a fascinating way to to tidy up that story.
0: Yeah, and I think that... um we did hit on this last week as well is that a lot of the education vision is out there, but when you talk now, he'll be delivering this speech and he just, you know, he has just a few years, you know, left in office and he's got to have an eye on his legacy and it hits exactly as what you're saying is what have I, not only the big stuff that I've passed or implemented, but what's the sort of data that I can point to the execution Um, the implementation. And so maybe we're not going to get a lot of new stuff. We'll see. Maybe, um, you know, he pays a little more attention to transit related things, livability of the city, movability. You know, those are some of the things I think that are still out there that maybe he hasn't quite tackled enough. Um, But I'm sure that, you know, whatever else he might put out there will continue to have an equity theme to it, and and certainly he'll, he'll put things in the context of the city being a bulwark against
1: what's happening in Washington. Well, Ben, I'm very happy to say I will next talk to you on Valentine's Day. Yes,
0: I look forward to it.